0: Simon Stokes. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you at some point. Do um, something a little bit different tonight with Jessa reading the scripture for us. I'm going to set that right there. Oh, hot mic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're new with us, if you've never been here before, our you is a community of people who know they don't have it all together. It's a community made up of people who have a lot of problems. You can talk about those problems. Because they know they have a God who's bigger than those problems and who's dealt with those problems through the cross. He's um, also continuing to deal with those problems together with us on Tuesday nights, uh, through community groups and Bible study, and even through things like you know, Thanksgiving potluck. So if you're new with us uh, and you feel like you're sitting there and you're thinking, I have a lot of problems, well, welcome. You're in good company. Um, yeah, so with this past uh, weekend and our regular season games starting up, uh, basketball season is finally on us. I know. Woo! <laughs> Finally. Uh, and if you want to think of some of the truly great Carolina basketball players, I think Phil Ford would have to come up. He was a huge, huge deal. Um, a little bit before Jordan, but he's a big guy. He held the record for us, uh, for our leading score for 32 years. He set a record for passing. He's all around known as a great leader. And the story goes uh, that before the start of every season, Dean Smith, like well, the Dean Smith, uh, would have a preseason mile to r- run to check out the condition of his players. Uh, and it, Phil Ford's very first season as a player, they're out there in the cold, they're doing the preseason mile, and he pushes himself lap after lap after lap. One, two, three times around. And the fourth lap, he goes so hard that at the end of the final lap, he dives across the finish line to get like one second faster than he would have gotten. And Dean Smith, seeing this, famously responds by looking to his assistant coach, and he makes kind of the biggest understatement of his career. He says, I think we got ourselves a player here. <laughs> Good response. Uh, Dean Smith saw someone, someone truly great, and he responded appropriately. He, he watched this young man, he coached him, he followed him, he saw him become a leader. And here in Galatians, Paul is starting to land the plane. Of the gospel, and he's answering the question, how should we respond to God's work through the gospel? In other words, what is living the Christian life about? How do we respond to Jesus laying himself out there for people? You know, some people can look at that and say, you know, we need to respond through worship, or we need to respond primarily through theology, or through justice and mission, or through personal piety, or maybe some of you all have heard, you know, if you're a Christian out, you need to move to another country and be a missionary. But notice that that's not what Paul says here. You know, all those things are facets of how to respond. But Paul, the ultimate missionary, who's just written this long letter to the church explaining what Christianity is about. So does not say, okay, you and you move to the farthest part of the globe and be a missionary. He says this. He says, be gentle with one another, bear one another's burdens. Let me suggest tonight that the primary way the Bible would have us respond to the Gospel is that the Christian life is about personal transformation through community. It's about personal transformation through community. That the right response to the Gospel involves you, an individual, and it involves the people around you, your community. I think the problem for us is that we don't always know how to deal with what gets in the way of community. And we don't always understand what drives community. So I have two points tonight. What is the barrier to true community? And what is the source of true community? What's the barrier and what's the source? Um, and Jessa has been kind of to read for us tonight, so I'll go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Father, um, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come to you tonight, Lord, we know that you are the God who dwells in perfect community. It's the three in one. And Lord, I pray that as we approach you, Lord, that you would draw us close to community with yourself and with one another. Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, what are the barriers to community? What are the barriers to community? Look at what Paul says here. Keep watch on yourself. Bear one another's burdens. If anyone thinks that he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work. Paul is telling us that to respond to the gospel with community is the right thing to do. But the thing that gets in the way of community is sin. He's saying watch out because you could get puffed up and think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That you could be blinded to not seeing our friends in need. And then that would lead us to blaming others when we don't want to take responsibility for our own actions. And as we said last week, sin is never private. Your sin is never just your problem. That's our problem. Because whatever we do behind closed doors, even if it's done in private, affects everyone else that you know. Paul doesn't put all these things in this box here, but the sin that blinds, the sin that puffs up, the sin that puts one person against another, what is that called? It's pride. That pride is really the ultimate enemy of community. That pride pushes you out of community. It isolates you. And the more isolated you are, the more destructive all your other sins will be. You'll live on a pedestal. You'll live behind masks. No one will know you. Pride keeps you from truly living in community. Because when you live in the sin of your pride, other people are an obstacle to your success. And in knowing the whole of who you are. And y'all, don't be fooled. Because pride wouldn't have such a stranglehold on us if it didn't give us something as well, would it? Like, that sense that I can just keep people in the dark about the real me, they will absolutely love the person that I project myself to be. That if you act confident enough, people actually think that you're a confident person, even though you know you're not. But at least your friends will think that you are. But what does that cost you? Are you lonely because no one knows the real you? Have you been in inner turmoil because you're wrestling with guilt, but you just can't bring yourself to talk talk about that with another person? You know, to be alone with your sin is to be utterly alone. And you can take part in worship, you can be in a community group, or you can be really involved in some great organization, but you can still feel like you don't have real fellowship with people who know you. Do the people around you know you well? They know you, not just the good part of you, but the bad part of you. Not just the stuff you would put on your resume, but the stuff you would never put on your resume. Pride gives us something, for sure. But as somebody once said, the man in his armor is his armor's slave. To live in your pride is to live in your armor. And to be enslaved by that. It's to live on your pedestal away from other people. It's to be enslaved to yourself, to your desires, to your agenda to all the things that make up your life. But to give yourself to community, to give yourself to the people that are around you, means that you have to get off your pedestal. It means you have to get out of your armor. It means you have to be the whole of who you are in front of people. Pride is our barrier to true community. Okay, then what's the source of true community? What's the source? Um, I have a friend who's been a really good friend of mine since college, and it's kind of odd that we're friends because we're very, very different people. Uh, he is a super good dancer. He's really artsy. I'm not a good dancer. He's businessy. He loves to do like art with his hands, but he started a business on his own. Uh, and really what the center of our friendship has been is that we're just super honest with each other about our lives and about the way we feel towards each other. Um, and that has actually brought us closer together. And he recently became a dad of a little girl like I did, and uh, he called me on his way home from work the other day, and we were talking, and we just had this really honest conversation about struggling to want what we know, especially in regards to caring for our daughters. Like, I want to not be a selfish person, and I know I shouldn't be a selfish person, but having a kid has made me realize just how selfish of a person I am. And talking to my friend really helped me realize that. We were talking, and I was just saying, within like, you know, she's only been around for like three months. And there's been times when I've sat down to work at home and she started to cry. And I just ignored her because it's like, well, she's just got to suck it up because I'm doing my work here. <laughs> and that's a horrible thing. That's my sin. But my friend uh, from across the phone said, dude, me too. Like he's already realized that about himself too. I didn't know this about myself. I didn't know how it affected me. I didn't know that it was a burden on my, on my heart. I didn't know it was a burden of my relationship with Katie, with my daughter, until I said it out loud to him. I didn't know it was something that stopped me from having real community with people until I could confess it to my friend. If my pride is what keeps me from being known and from knowing others, then I think a big tool in our box that helps us to really enter into community is confession. The confession is the ultimate blow to pride. The confession in the presence of another person can hurt. Because it's admitting that I'm a sinner and these are my sins. Not just that I have anger, but this is my anger. Not just that I'm an arrogant person, but this is my arrogance. And you can think to yourself, like, I know that God loves me in spite of my sin, but sometimes you just need another person to sit down and look at you face to face and have you tell them your sin and for them to look at you in the eye and say, I know, and God loves you and Jesus died for that. You need that from other people. Because you know it, but do you really know it in here? In your heart. And Paul has just spent six chapters of the Bible explaining what Christians believe. And now he's saying, okay, you want to do what Christians do? Then when you sin, be gentle with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Don't be conceited. In other words, deal with your sin together together. With both the truth and the grace of the gospel. The reason a lot of y'all don't feel connected to people is that you don't approach people as a sinner. You approach people from a pedestal or in your armor. But real friendship happens when you look another person in the eye and say, You too? I thought I was the only one. Real fellowship happens when we confess our sins to one another. And we bear those sins together as a community. The reality is that no one here is without sin. And nobody should be surprised when the person next to them confesses some sin. But we should really be surprised when no one confesses sin to us. We bear one another's burdens, which means that we need regular community. It means you have to commit deeply to people. That no one bears your burdens without some deeper tie to them. And you can't just be a one night burden bearer. But you need to commit to a community. You need to commit to your friends. You can't jump from friend group to friend group to friend group. But you have to commit deeply to people to bear those people's burdens. And for those people to bear your burdens too. Practically, when we bear one of those burdens, when we confess our sins to another, what are some guidelines? Like, who should you confess to? Who should you confess to? Confess to a person who understands sin. Confess to a person who understands what anger is, what lust is, what idolatry is. Don't confess to somebody who doesn't understand the burden of their own sin and their need of Jesus. Confess to somebody who can say, me too. If you hear confession, what should you do with it? Unless someone tells you that they're planning on hurting themselves or hurting someone else, their confession is for you alone. Don't tell your friends about it, don't write it on Facebook, don't tell your mom about it. Consider it an honor to bear someone else's burdens, and keep that private. For every confession you hear, you should make a personal confession to someone else, yourself. Community is a two-way street, and you should not be in the habit of hearing a confession and offering forgiveness if you don't confess yourself and ask for forgiveness yourself. We all need to do this together. Okay, on the other hand, what does Paul mean when he says you have to bear your own burdens? We're responsible for ourselves. Our friends can't be our only connection to God. Our parents can't be our only connection to God. Everyone stands before God as an individual. And so a community can't just be your spirituality. Do you have a connection with God that's your own, that's personal? Also, don't get so wrapped up in serving other people that you don't deal with yourself. I think for some of us, the temptation is to get so wrapped up in other people's problems that you don't deal with your own problems. That other people become your escape from your own problems. And Paul is saying that ultimately, you are the only person that you're responsible for. So on the one hand, don't become conceited and look at other people and think, at least I'm not as bad as this person. But on the other hand, don't get so wrapped up in helping other people that you have no time for a relationship with yourself, or with God, or with your friends. But there's a balance in community. That community is a two-way street of knowing one another and being known. Okay, so finally, how do we get there? How do we get here? If the problem is that I don't let people in, and I show, don't show them the real me, how do I learn that? How do I learn to confess to people? How do I learn to take that kind of risk with people? Just read the, do I just need to read the right research paper or like just pray enough? or what do I do? How do I make this a reality? Let me suggest this. What does the gospel have to say to this? What does Jesus have to say to this? Why was Jesus born? What got Jesus in the most trouble with religious leaders? Why did Jesus die? What does Jesus do now as he sits at the right hand of God? Jesus came to forgive sins. He died to forgive sins. Jesus is now in heaven interceding for us because we're sinners. And we need his forgiveness. And a community that's built around his life, his death, his work, should look and feel like Jesus, which means that it should forgive sins, and we should learn to forgive our sins with one another. Look, Christians gather around Jesus because they're sinners. Because the center of Jesus' life is the cross. Where He does this scandalous, public death when He doesn't have to. Because He's not ashamed to be identified with us. God is not afraid to confess our sins on the cross as He dies for us. The fact that God, that God will become sin for you so that you become the righteousness of God Himself. That's entrance into community. That's entrance into knowing one another. Let's be able to say, you know, if God has died for this, I can talk about it. I can share it with people. You know, we don't find ourselves outside of both the truth and the grace of Jesus. That we are so bad that a sinless God had to die a shameful death. But on the other hand, man, He must really love sinners. He must really love people who don't have it all together. And in confession with one another, we experience the reality of Jesus. That it's the truth about our condition that I need you. I need another person to hear my sin and to offer forgiveness and to give me love in spite of it. And that it's through a community that's shaped by this reality that we're changed. You learn love by being loved. You learn patience when people are patient with you. You learn how to forgive by being, by being forgiven. So dive deep in this community and be changed. Confess your sins to the person next to you. Talk about the stuff that you don't want to talk about even when it's uncomfortable because you know that the gospel is bigger than that sin. And Jesus died for that sin. And you're free from those sins. I'll end with this. I feel like I talk about her a lot but I really like a lot of her work. So I'm not going to apologize for it. But uh, there's a woman named Brene Brown who's a brilliant um, researcher on shame and um, how to deal with people. And she's a really, really smart psychologist. And she talked about recently in an interview with her, where she talked about the experience of, as she was digging into her research of dealing with shame, dealing with the Bible called sin, it really brought it for her the realization that this is not something out there for other people, but it's in me too. And it caused this huge crisis in her life. And she talked about that she had this kind of middle-life crisis. She reads all these books, and all the books say, you know, go back to church, go back to church, go back to church. So she goes back to church, and she doesn't want, like, a churchy experience, but she finds this, like, church with, like, the name of Jesus in it, and people are, like, dressed up, and she's like, oh, this is everything I didn't want, but here we are. Uh, and she goes back to this church expecting that it would be, like, an epidural. that would numb her out. That in Instead of research, she would find church, and it would make all this pain go away. It would just kind of make her not really deal with stuff, and she'd kind of get over things. Which, by the way, is what like, Marx and Freud said, that religion is an opiate for the masses. But she said that it was not like that at all. That in a community of people, where both truth and grace were on tap, that church was not an epidural. That church was like a midwife. That the people of God were standing next to her and saying, push, push, it's supposed to hurt a little bit. It's hard to be yourself. It's hard to be a sinner. It's hard to be transformed by love. It's hard to be transformed by Jesus. And yet it brings new life. That that was her experience. And beloved, to act as a Christian, to be a Christian is to love greatly. It's to forgive greatly because to be a Christian is to know that God sees you and He sees through all your stuff and the mask you wear and the armor you put on. That you don't have to lie to yourself and the people around you as if you didn't have sin, but that you can dare to be a great sinner, a huge sinner, because God has loved you greatly. He has died for your sin. And to commit to this community, to these people, to this God, is to be transformed by His love. Be transformed into someone that God that you can be honest with other people and honest about who you are. So to close, we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. Um, normally, we do a confession of sin at the start of our UF, but tonight I want to end with doing a brief confession now, and then I'm going to pray and we'll do last songs. I'll do a benediction. So um, thank you. So, if you would, would you stand up and we'll do a confession of sin together? Yeah. Let's read this together. Sin is my greatest curse. When your blessings come, I idolize them. Friends, money, honor. Cleanse me of this spiritual idolatry. Humble me and let me live in the freedom of your love. Let's pray and have a moment of silent confession, and I'll read our assurance of grace. <clears throat> Hear this assurance of grace. From one John one, seven through nine. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Let me pray for us now, and we'll have our, our last songs. Father, thank you for your kindness to us that we know the forgiveness of sin through your son Jesus. Thank you that you move in us, that you give us freedom. Lord, that you free us from sin, that you free us from idolatry of our hearts. Lord, that you love us and call us beloved. God, that we can confess to one another. We can confess to you. Lord, we can be free and find true freedom and community with one another. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.